not. Probably not. Hey, everybody. How are you guys doing? Good Tuesday morning? I lost a day this week. It's Tuesday, it's Tuesday morning. Um, I have here John Logan. I am Dale Maxwell. What is kick-assery? Kick-assery is my opportunity to brag on people that I know that are people in my life to share wisdom and thoughts and ideas and uh, just kind of let the conversational drift take us wherever. Because here's the thing. This is not an interview series. This is literally a conversation where who the heck knows? We're going to start here and who knows where we're going to end up. And that's what I love about this. So John has been on, what is this, third, fourth time we've, fourth we've done time this? Fourth time I've been. No, yeah. You know, John, I, he, every time I ask, he says yes. I, I haven't taught him how to say no yet, apparently. <laughs> so, um, but one of the things that John loves and is a huge passion in his life next to probably his family, I'm guessing, yeah. is comic books. So, John, real quick, give us a, a quick elevator pitch. Who are you? And let's just get into it, bud. So, well, the the who am I is a lot of fun to do. Um, I live in, I grew up in rural Idaho, right along with Dale and some of his other guests. Um, during my time here, we'll focus on why I'm concerned with comic books. Uh, during my time growing up in Salmon, Idaho, there was no comic book shop, um, not a newsstand, not an independent bookstore um, that sold comic books. So um, I didn't grow up surrounded by this culture um, on a personal on a personal basis. What I am lucky enough to be is one of the kids that got to see um, the X-Men and Batman the Animated Series um, on Saturday morning cartoons. And that was a huge leap forward in the comic book exposure as far as um, the nation getting to hear and see these stories told for the first time um, as they were eating their Cheerios Saturday morning. So that was really me and everybody else's from that generation's first introduction to comic books and the stories that could be told um, using this uh, graphic storytelling format. And it really got me hooked. Um, <clears throat> right after I graduated, I moved to Bozeman. They had a comic book store. I didn't get too involved in it. I went in, of course, I bought some books. Um, it wasn't until I moved to Vegas and had a comic book shop two blocks from my house that I, re a really good comic book shop um, in North Las Vegas that I really got hooked on it. And I wanted to I wanted to start to collect these books because there's a huge component to the comic book world that is simply collecting. Um, it's, it's fascinating to watch the speculation there. Um, will this key issue ever be worth the paper it's printed on? Right. And 95, 96% of the time, the answer is no. I've got boxes and boxes, and don't tell my wife, I've got boxes and boxes and boxes of comic books that aren't worth the paper they're printed on. Right. But I might have one that is slowly appreciating in value. Will it ever get to the point of Action Comics number one with Superman on the cover from 1938 that is now selling when they are available to be bought for you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars? I don't, I don't think I've got anything like that in my collection. But uh, yeah, that's what I... And, and now there's a huge shift in popular culture where all of popular culture, or at least so it seems, is focusing on comic books, which is a huge change. Um, again, the only exposure I had growing up as a geek who loved comic books, and the only acceptance I had as a geek who loved comic books was other people who already really enjoyed the subculture of comic books. But it was, it was nowhere near what it is today where everybody loves and enjoys these stories. So um, I'm fascinated by that because like we talked last time, 
it's gone from being a micro community of nerds who love comic books and know all the characters and know all their stories and know all the creators to now I have to deal with everybody who wants a piece of this pie. And sometimes people can get possessive. Mm -hmm. And so there's really cool chances for some interpersonal dynamics to come into play and, and education possibilities there are, are just fascinating to me. So, so yeah. with that said, okay. So if you guys haven't figured out once John gets on a, on a tangent, you got to like hit him with the, with the stop. So a couple things. One, I didn't know you, you lived in Vegas. That's pretty cool too. Um, you know, today's kids, well, let's just be honest as well, John. I think even kids our age growing up that lived in the cities didn't have to deal with only watching cartoons one day a week on Saturday mornings, you know, or uh, for an hour after school at three o'clock. You know, kids these days, I mean, Cartoon Network and Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, everything. I mean, it's 24 hours a day. But when we grew up, we had like an hour in the afternoon that you had to bust butt to get home on the bus to get in front of the TV long enough. And that's only if our dads allowed us to do that. Normally, as soon as we got home, they're like, nope, take off your stuff, let's get to work. Or Saturday mornings, you know, I would have to get up before my dad, which he got up at 4.35 o'clock every single morning, as to, I'm sure yours did. And I had to beat him to the TV so that I could watch a little bit of, of cartoons before he said, nope, time to get up and let's roll. Yeah. Um, so I don't I, I think there's a lot of generations that don't experience that because we craved that time with our He-Mans and our G.I. Joes and our whatever our cartoons we were into. Heck, Tom and Jerry's and, and Mighty Mouse, you know, and, and things yeah. like that. You know, we craved that time because we only had a couple hours a week, period, that yeah. we had access to it. And I think the other thing that that I want to touch on, and I'm going to let you go on, is is it that because you mentioned that you know now everybody's into the comic book industry, is it that they're into the comic book industry, or is it because Marvel's less Marvel has done an insane job now that Disney owns them to infiltrate every market there is. DC's trying to play catch up. Um, is it the comic books or is it the TV movie series that now has got the majority of the culture? And, uh, and again, you can, you can start splitting hairs here and it, it, it it's really interesting group dynamics for, and, and you can take where an appliance, to come vice versa you can take these lessons that we're seeing in the and apply them elsewhere so it works both ways however you want to look at it and juggle it um so there's this hardcore group you know of fans that are die hard comic book fans they've right. you know whether they started collecting because their dad did or whether they were outcasts and picked on in that comic book store um, was a safe place for them where they could just escape from whatever their reality was and get lost in the pages of Superman and get lost in the pages of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, whatever it is, you've got this very, very dedicated group of fans. And then all of a sudden, you bet, Marvel comes along. They're like, we need to remain viable. 
the, the print book business isn't making us as much money as we would like. How do we expand our audience? These are action adventure stories. Who, who doesn't love watching people get punched in the face on TV? The stories are already written. And from a creator's point of view, the storyboards, because a comic book is panels, mm-hmm. little pictures showing how the sequences go along in the story. That's what a storyboard artist does. Yeah, They're already done. To convert a comic book story into a TV script is very, very easy. Right. It takes out a, a lot of the work is already done. So it was it it was very it made a lot of sense to take these stories and and try to expand into a market that had done really well. We we say Marvel did great things, but Christopher Reeves is Superman and the Tim Burton Batmans that we remember with Michael Keaton really were the really were what started it. Yeah. Um, sure, they weren't released every year like we're used to Marvel doing now, and it's super fantastic. We've got 20 movies lined up over the next 18 years. You know, we're shooting three or four superhero movies, and we're marketing all these interconnected platforms of, of multimedia and the big screen and the small screen. That's now. But really, if you look back, there's always been a Superman on TV since mm-hmm. 1941. Superman came out on the newsstand in 38 by in three years, people understood that this character and these stories will resonate enough with any audience in America that he was on the big screen in Superman shorts as early as 1941. So it's always been there. It's just, it's so much more now. And now that we've explained that we can go back and look, how does that affect a very small tight knit community that can tell you, right off the top of their head by memorization when a character's first appearance was, you know, Wolverine. Oh, I'm going to get this wrong and people are going to yell, but Wolverine's first appearance was Hulk, actually. You know, I, I, think you're having, I think you're having some internet slowdown issues. Uh-oh. Are you there still? I am here, and I can hear you okay. just fine. Okay, there you are. All right. Okay, perfect. So anyway, you get these really hardcore nerds who love this thing, right. and then you get casuals coming in, and there's a lot of friction there, a lot of friction. And and it's caused, you know, these, these shitstorms right. of, of bad publicity for this industry, and it's really interesting to watch. So now, because we can go off on that for forever, because I am not a hardcore comic book guy. I know enough of it. I followed enough of it. I, I can have a conversation, but I cannot have an in-depth conversation like you and your crew, right? Um, my comic book collection was was handed down to me by my brother. I have some of the original Conan the Barbarians, Conan the Conqueror comic books which were some of the first graphic comic yep. books. And then of course I have some, you know, uh, uncle Scrooge and, and, you know, some from the thirties and the forties that are just completely tore to shit. They're not worth anything, but that's my, that's my comic book collection. I didn't stay with it cause it wasn't, it wasn't my, it wasn't my thing, but I knew, I know enough about it that I can have a conversation. Um, but then 
you and I had this conversation before we got started. I was like, okay, we got to stop again. Because you and I just, as soon as we jump off, we just start conversing. Is that now more than ever, it seems like anyone can jump on and be an artist, can be a content creator, because now let's just talk about publishing, because this is something that I feel I can have a little bit more of an in-depth conversation not saying comic books aren't, but publishing a comic book versus publishing a book. What's, is there much of a difference? Is there, how do you, how do you go through you as an artist and you as a, as a content creator, how do you go through that? What's that process? So, so we were talking right, right before we pushed the live button here. And um, 20 years ago, your only option was to sit down and draw or sit down and write and mail that off to New York and hope that some editor somewhere liked your stuff enough that it made it through the first slush pile, got into an actual review with that publishing house, and then bam, you you went from there. That's still an option. It's still a very viable option. Um, but I personally, I think that door's a, a bit narrower than it used to be because now with the competition of self-publishing, and the competition of web comics, where you're right. I mean, um, Cyanide and Happiness, and, um, and there's thousands and thousands. You type in web comics, you can read all day and not read the same one twice. And those guys are not paying an agent. They're not giving a cut to Marvel. They own all, all of their content. Um, important some real stone eventual publishing world that um affected how creators um were treated with their intellectual property rights you know stan lee being synonymous with marvel stan lee doesn't own spider-man which he helped create the hulk which he helped create the fantastic four which he helped create um the x-men which he helped create i mean the entire stable of what most people understand to be marvel comics Stan Lee had a hand in that, but he doesn't own it. I mean, Stan Lee's not hard off by any means, but still, if he were to walk away, he's not taking any of that stuff with him. His legacy is at Marvel because Marvel owns those characters, um, lock, stock, and barrel. So if I sit down and I'm like, hey, I want to create a brand new superhero. Here I go. I put all my time and energy into it. I don't make a dime during that creation process. I mail it off to Marvel. They're going to be like, sure, you bet. We're going to buy. We'll buy it. And you'll never have anything to do with it ever again. Right. It's really, an, and that's tradition and that's how it's been. Right. Take it or leave it. There's good sides, there's bad sides, but that's how it's been. Not so much anymore. Now, I spend all my time creating Superhero X. I, I work long hours. I get a Facebook following. I get an Instagram following where I'm, you know, showing previews of my art. I'm doing live streams where I, I let people watch me do the prelim sketches. I'm, you know, doing this giant multimedia hustle, I release it myself and I'm making any profit I make is 100% mine. There's, mm -hmm. It's an entirely new and different world. And then there's an in-between where there's now because the market is so much bigger because everybody is involved, small comic book publishing houses are starting to edge their way in. Um, there's a small publisher out of Montana which is feasible for me to drive there and make an in-person pitch. 
I can't get to New York. I can't walk into Marvel headquarters. I can't give an elevator pitch to anybody right. at Marvel. I just can't. I'm I'm a nobody. It doesn't quite work that way. But I can get to Montana. I can show up and I can shake the hands of the vault comic dudes and, you know, try to charm my way in there. And that's a nice middle ground. So mm-hmm. that's how it's changing. And And there was all this doom and gloom. Oh, print comic books are dead. Here comes the internet. Traditional traditional publishing is dead. We, you, if you own a comic book, you better hold on to it because nobody is going to read paper books anymore. And that's the same exact scenario that happened when Kindles and Amazon came along and said, hey, we're going to put our books on electronic devices. Everybody in the traditional book publishing world went, oh, it's the end. Mm-hmm. We've had a good run, but it's the end. So it mirrors traditional publishing in a lot of ways. Well, and I think, you know, because traditional paper books, they did take a dive. I mean, the, the sales of paperback books and hard copy books is, has gone down significantly, but it hasn't died completely. And it depends on the genre. It, it, some genres have stayed. You know, some genres have completely died. But so here's another question. You know, YouTube has had this debate for the last four or five years is is the comic book industry because it's easier to self-publish to completely publish yourself to work with these smaller uh the the smaller um houses is it saturated is it too saturated is if i have an idea should i even try it it is there even an opportunity absolutely i think again now more than ever if you're willing to put in the hustle the the market there's still plenty of room for people at the top and and places like vault comics are proving that um they've got a very sweet idea of having a a shared creator-owned universe inside their publishing house that means you could sit down i could sit down and as long as we put our story in this shared universe they are willing to take a look at it mm-hmm. and it it becomes the creators prerogative and priority to write good enough stories to keep that shared universe alive. It's really, really an interesting concept. And again, there's there's this pushback and there's this learning curve of how do we treat creators as a publisher so they're happier with us than they are with the traditional houses who just buy the product lock, stock and barrel. You might get royalties. That's whatever the fine print, the contract is. Um, and you, And again, what do I care if Marvel buys my first creation if they are willing to then put me on staff and I get to write whatever right. they want me to write. And and that's where the market is oversaturated, I think, is trying to get your foot in the door as a cold stone nobody. Because DC and Marvel have had an influx of talent. And now if they want something created, they're going to go to a content creator that they know and trust and that has a track record with them. Right. It's not, I mean, they're everywhere, right? Marvel probably doesn't need an extra writer. You right. really have to show up with something special to, for Marvel to notice you because if they want an X-Men story written, they'll just go to this giant list of people they already pay and be like, hey, you're a good writer. Your books sell. Would you please take a shot at the X-Men and let's see what you can do with them? Right. Well, you know, in that um, in the traditional book market, which I, I I know that this much is I know in today's market the 
with self-publishing with Amazon and, and everything else, or even doing your own PDF on your own websites and using your own funneling and blah, 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 blah. I know the big publishers are more and more now they're keeping track of those sales records yep. um, because what's happening is they're going to say, okay, John wrote a book about how to storyboard comic books. I don't know. Make something up. <laughs> so, uh, we're noticing, you know, that's trending huge. It's it's already on the top Amazon selling list in like four categories, blah, blah, blah. And then they will reach out to you, the author and yep. the, the self-publisher and say, hey, we like what you're doing. We see an opportunity. We would love to publish you. Yeah. And we're seeing more and more of that on the book side, on the, on the self-publishing side. And Do it works. See? And like I said, it works the same way in comics. Um, okay. A lot of people who you know, get their first shot at Marvel Comics when you read their author bio. And I'm a writer guy. I, I don't know how artists do their deal. I don't I don't know. Um, artists are incredible. I wish I had that talent. I don't. So I focus on the writing. Um, so writers, it's the same thing. When you read the biography of that writer, you know, brand new Miss Marvel comic, you know, and Miss Marvel's a really cool subject to look at recently. and. I could talk a whole deal about just Miss Marvel and Captain Marvel and how that has gone. But the new Miss Marvel, her writer is famous for publishing normal books. And Marvel did. They're like, you tell a great story. We would like you to come in and, and author a comic book for us. And uh, traditionally, authors would have just laughed um, right. because it's like you said in your little get up blurb for this cast. You know, they're not just for kids anymore, but traditionally um, that was everybody's view is that they're derivative, they're garbage, they're not serious art, they're, they're throwaway, cheap entertainment, and a serious author would never dirty his hands writing a comic book. And, that, and it's simply not true anymore for right. the betterment of the industry. So now, okay. So you you were talking about the actual artist, the 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 drawing and the the. So, what's your thoughts of if if you're a content creator but you're not an artist? What's your thoughts on using platforms like Fiverr to create the artwork, to or or working with a, a gang system like that versus actually having a comic book artist? I really think it comes down to what, and this is this is a pretty broad answer, but I think it's a truthful one. What serves your story the best? Can you find, I mean, Fiverr's, you know, you're paying those people to become invested in your project. There's a lot of room for error there. <laughs> yeah. Where on the other side, and a lot of room for people to be very passionate about it, but not very skilled at it. So great, passion passion is definitely important and it definitely comes through in the stories you tell. But if they simply lack the technical skills to deliver, right. your, your end content is gonna suffer for that. So right. I'm all for it, give it a shot. But the risk reward system there is, is much, more dynamic than writing a good story, only concerning yourself with the writing. And if I write a good enough story and I send it off to Marvel, traditionally, then it's Marvel's job to find a decent artist 
to put it all together in the final package. And that's a really good system for me because I only have to worry about my my half. Right, and, but for the rest of us that aren't that, that we don't have the caliber of writing skills that John Logan has to be able to go do that, you know, if we are just trying this out, we're like, okay, well, I've got a cool story and I think pictures would go really well with it. And so this makes sense to do as a comic book. Um, do you, in, in your in your professional opinion, does it have to be super, does it have to be super polished? Does it have to be like the shit? Or can you say, here's my first, here's what I'm doing. Let the, let the masses, let my following work through it to help me fine tune that. That, uh, that's, that's interesting. Good, good morning, Summer. Uh, thanks for tuning in. As, you didn't as, have as, a quick like, Um, and I'm a, I'm an art snob. I, it really matters to me personally that the art be a certain caliber for any project I'm, I really, really enjoy. But that's simply not true. Again, cyanide and happiness are stick figures, right? Like this is this is one of the top rated webtoons out there, and they're stick figures, and they're they're well done. They're hilarious. They get their point across. They're they're whatever that creator wants them to be, and it works, and it has a huge following. Um, but it's not. I have a hard time putting that on the same level as far as the stories it's telling and the way it's telling them as, you know, a, bat, a Batman story from DC. So I think, I think the answer is yes. I think you can do it right out of your house. If, if you can get out there and, and again, it's, it's, we talked about this a little bit. How does the business side interact with the creation side? Again, if I can hustle and I can understand that I have to be doing business related things, as well as focusing on the creation of this artistic project, and I can somehow balance those two things, then your product will eventually get out there. It might take you 10 years to become that overnight success, mm -hmm. but you will garner a following, You or you will get noticed and, and picked up somewhere, and you'll make it work um, to whatever your goal is. I think, you know, if you just put out the call to everybody you know on the internet and just put it out there looking for artists who want to be involved in a comic book somewhere because of the reach social media has, you will find somebody willing to be like, look, if you'll work in your basement, I'll work in mine. We can connect through technology and let's see if we can actually put this together. And you could even, you know, get something done that way where here's. You touched on something a second ago that for a lot of artistic people, and I'm not just saying in, in art, but creatives, right? Um, whether you're, whatever your creative endeavor is, I feel a lot of creatives get tripped up on the business side of it, you know? And, and I think the other part of this is, okay, are you wanting to be a cartoonist, a storyteller, uh, whatever your creative creative thing is, uh, whether it's video or comic books or whatever, it doesn't matter. Are you doing it just because you want to tell stories? 
Are you doing it because you want to make money? Are you doing it because you want to make an impact? What is your goal? And, and I think that there's when I'm talking to a lot of people in my small world, that's a question that I ask a lot is what do you want out of this? Where's this going? When this grows up and, and takes the training wheels off, what is it? And it seems to me like, and of course, I'm not in the same aspect of the creative creative world as you are, but I feel like a lot of people, they don't know that answer. They just want to create. They just want to do with it, and they don't know what it's going to be. Yeah, and they, do, they also don't know what it's worth, um, which, is, which is really weird. Like, <laughs> you've put how many untold hours into this project, whether it's a painting or it's a story or something, and now Absolutely. you don't know what to sell it for and right. and it happens all the time and you see it in every creative endeavor i know photographers that have no idea how to handle somebody coming up and being like hey will you take pictures for me and they just i mean deer in the headlights are you right and a lot of times they turn down an opportunity because of that fear yes. i don't know how to handle any sort of business i mean right i know some great photographers photography is another really cool area that has just exploded because of the technology behind it. Right. Um, thank you, Michelle, and good morning. Um, so in photography, in writing, you know, in graphic design, I mess around with Photoshop a lot. It's been a job requirement for me. This has gotten out and now people come up and been like, hey, I need some posters designed for X, Y, and Z. And I had to sit down and seriously have some nail biting conversations with myself about what do I charge these people? Right. Because I'm spending hours of my time and mm -hmm. my expertise to give them a product. This isn't something I ever expected to be doing. So you run into that in every field and, and I, and you're right. And we talked about it. It seems that people who are, invested with a passion about creativity balk at learning the business side at all they don't want to deal with it nope i don't care i'm just i'm just here to make a marble statue i don't care what happens to that afterwards when really they should they should and because you can only be you can only be a starving artist once like as soon as you grow up and have a family and have kids like me being a right. starving artist is no longer an option for me I right. want to be a comic book writer. I still, that's the dream. I still want to write comic books, but I can no longer sit around and ignore the business half of it in pursuit of just writing stories because it's a passion of mine. I've Absolutely. got kids to feed. I've got a house to pay for. I've got a car that needs new tires, whatever it is. My time to be a starving artist is gone. I can't, I can't afford it. I have to learn the business half now. Now, I'm going to touch on that for just a second is um, now we're getting into to my realm a little bit. Um, <laughs> you know, it, you're absolutely right. And one of the things that I caution a lot of people at, because I've learned this the hard way, is trying to fix shit that's broken in you or things that you suck at. Listen, we all have things that we are good at, that we are passionate about. And then there's things that we could give two shits about. And what I've learned the hard way is I've spent a majority of my adult life trying to fix the crap that I suck at. 
Whereas what I've come to realize over the last couple of years is that I need to maximize the things I'm great at and then hire out the things that I suck at. You know, uh, John Maxwell, and that's easier said than done when we're fledgling, when we, when we don't have anything to pay anybody with. That's it's it's impossible for us, for for me to wrap my head around handing something off with the expectation of having to pay somebody to do that when I don't have anything to pay them with, right? Other than good intentions and, and backpacks. <laughs> But with that said, though, is that as soon as I have been able to release things that either A, I put more importance in than I should have, or B, I was just able to let somebody else take over, it, even in a minor place, my woosah came in a big way, and I was able to concentrate on, on this is a perfect example, this whole project, this whole kick ashery thing, I've let a lot of things go, and it's just, it's taken off. Um and that's, like I said, that's easier said than done, especially with somebody who absolutely does not know how, when, where, what, anything. And I feel that that's where partnerships, that's where collaborations, that's where, you know, um, all of those things come in. Um, so you're absolutely right. We all have to know our business. We all have to know what we want out of it. We all, we all need to know where our goal piece is, where, what are we shooting for? Where are we going? I need to make money. Okay, well, I'm writing this comic book. I don't know how to make money writing comic books. Well, guess what? There's this really cool thing called YouTube that will probably teach you everything you ever need to know about anything. Spend a couple hours, figure the shit out, and then figure out what part of it you can handle. Yeah, I agree. And, there, there's and my soapbox. <laughs> and the comic book, it, it's huge. It's not just paper and cheap newsprint anymore. Um, there is a, there's an in to, and a lot of things are getting like that now. The interconnectivity of industries seem to be tightening. Um, right. Where, again, if you're a graphic designer or you're a storyboard artist or whatever you are, you can make a living in almost any industry because there's a demand for you there. Right. So yeah, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Um, well, and, and you're absolutely right. And you see the business side is what I get. I get tickled about, you know, I, I'm not a content creator. I'm not an artist, even though I was a graphic designer for, for a number of years. Hell no, I wasn't. I, and when I was doing my business printing, because I have a printing business. I, it's YES Printing. And it's a, I'm a broker at best. And it's been great for my military life because everything's done online. I, I still take care of clients in Idaho and California and in Germany and all over the place. But when someone say, well, I need a business card designed or I need this designed or a logo, I tell them straight up. I am not a graphic artist. I'm not. I can recreate things. I can put things together. But if you need, and I will be the first to tell you that this is above my, my pay grade. This is above my capacity. Here's my network of people that I'm going to have you work with if it's above me. And that's one of the things that I love, and you've already talked about it, is the technology and how we can connect over vast distances in times is that if someone needs, you know, I have, I have a great group of artists, true designers 
that if you say, well, I'm working on a government contract and I need to have uh, this done. Great. I've got the guy that that's all he's done in his entire career is government contract artwork, right? And contracts and this and this and this. Or someone needs an original design for a logo. Awesome. Concept design, not my not my cup of tea. You tell me concept and I'm going to start drawing stick figures. I don't, it's not how my brain works. It's not, you know? And so I'm like, okay, God, awesome. I've got two people that they are phenomenal at concept art. You you verbalize to them what they what you want, and they pull it out of the ether and put it on paper. And I have never understood how to do that. Never. I'm like, how the heck did you come up with this from this paragraph that I sent you? Don't get it. Love it, right? <laughs> but then at the same time, brother, is that I also suck at day-to-day money management. I, I'm not a good paying my bills every week. That's my wife is a godsend. That's she takes care of that part of the family. And when it comes to my business, I have a bookkeeper that takes care of that. You know, I, I send Beth information. I'm like, Beth, please take care of this. This is here. Take care, right? Not my shtick. Um and what reason I'm going off on this is because I feel that a lot of times when we are so into what we're doing, it's hard for us to let go of parts and pieces of the project. Is yeah. that, you know, yeah, I, I would agree. I, being on the other side, being the creative part there, you bet. I want to nitpick you about, how the rubble looks on panel four on page 22. Does that, is that something you really need to be losing sleep over? Right. Probably not. Let the artist trust the people you're working with, right? right? Trust the relationships you've built to that, you know, that's his job. The artist has got this handled. You wrote yeah. it, you shipped it off. Pick your battles, pick what right. you're losing right. sleep over. Um, so yeah, that's that's 100% true. Now, granted, you have to have quality control. Granted, yep. you have to have the outcome of it. And you've said it several times already. Whatever the endeavor is, it doesn't matter whatever. The outcome needs to be what you have in your mind. But what I've learned in many different projects I've done over the years is that if you have a really good team, if you have really good whatever the piece of the puzzle that they have, and you said it, you trust them, you give them ownership, in my experience – even if something needs tweaked, the outcome is beyond my expectations. And even throughout the whole process, I'm like, okay, well, mm, I don't like the timing here. I don't like, you know, when I was doing video production work, you know, I'm like, okay, well, let's change this transition. This is where I'm going with this. Let's try this. And then I let it go, you know, because like you said, I'm not, I'm not interested anymore in losing sleep. Yeah. <laughs> not interested in it anymore. Been there, done that for way too long. I want to be able to lay my head down at night. I want to close my eyes and you go and, and wake up the next morning. I, I don't know about you, but I'm done with sleepless nights. So, so yeah, there's a, uh, and, and my favorite part about comic books is the, well, my, one of my, I can't, I can't even say that sentence that this is my favorite. No, no, part. no, no, no. You said, it. My, you said it. It's, it's in one stone. of my favorite parts of, about the explosion of the comic book scene of this subculture of popular 
media, popular culture into the mainstream culture has been how that label of this is for kids, uh, these stories aren't being taken seriously or being told seriously, how that is completely not true anymore. Um, there, are, there are academics, there are people with letters in front of their names, like PhD and whatnot, studying graphic narratives. And that to me is absolutely amazing and it's mind blowing. And you know, there's there's two, there's at least two colleges where you can go and and get a master's in comic book studies. So that's very, very cool. I actually know a guy who is pursuing that right now nice. to get his master's in comic book studies. Um, and it's fascinating to me. There's all sorts of big world problems and big world issues that are being tackled in uh, graphic storytelling. And, and it's really, really fantastic. And you know, guys, hit me up over at my page on Two Point Comics um, with any of these questions. This is my favorite way to try to talk to people about comic books. And Dale, we talked about this, is the comic book industry doesn't need to worry about its fan base. It's growing and the traditional fans are 100% secure. You don't very, very, it takes a lot of work to lose a fan. Once you, once you are a fan of something, you tend to stay a fan of something. The industries, any industry, is always concerned about how do I get more of those people to give me a chunk of their disposable income? Um, that's very businessy sounding, but that's the truth of it. Mm -hmm. And so this is my favorite way to try to hook people like Dale or Dale's wife and be like, why, when they're just like, I, I don't get it. it. My brother is another good example. My brothers never understood my passion for this industry. And so I, I do, I give them comic books for Christmas. It's like, well, that's kind of a dick move, but it's funny. And, uh, and maybe Jim will see something there that he's like, no, okay, I don't get comic books, but I love Green Lantern stories and here's why. Right. Or whatever it is, you know, and then, and then you've got them and you can start building more commonalities with them. So if, Anybody, and I mean anybody, has other questions about, like I said, these big world, like representation in comic books. Because now, because comic books are mainstream media, representation in comic books is parallel with representation in media. And that is a huge thing. I mean, there are people frothing at the mouth to tell you what should be and should not be done as far as that particular facet of an industry is and it's fascinating to me and i love it and and again independent publishers people are frothing at the mouth to be like they're the best thing ever or they're the demise of our industry this is a this is its own discussion or the science behind how our brain interprets this middle ground between the written novel and the movie that's what I am dealing with. That's what comic books are. They're this weird mashup of written word and pictures when usually for hundreds and hundreds of years, we have dealt with those two things completely separately. So what is the science behind how our brain understands things like time and perspective and sequence in this format and there's been books written about it and i've read them and i love them and 
it's it's super fascinating. So which right there alone, uh, you know, you start talking to, to people who don't, you know, even the Star Wars universe with the new movies, and you know, then there's this and that, and the prequels with the sequels, and the same time pulls, and you know, all of this thing, and and comic books, of course, especially in the Marvel universe, well, DC universe also, is that time is doesn't mean anything, you know, because there's there's you know even even if you go down to just the flash, you just talk about the flash. Well, shoot. How many flashes the most, are there? The, the most com one of the most convoluted characters as far as time is concerned. Yeah. Because at least one of them can run through time, right? Yeah. Like Barry Allen has this huge story. And uh there's at least five flashes. There's Barry Allen, who is the most famous flash. Um Jay Garrick, who is the original flash. Bart Allen, who is Barry Allen's grandkid from the future, who comes back and hangs out with his granddad. And Wally West, who took up the mantle of the Flash after Barry Allen died, but didn't stay dead. Mm -hmm. So, um, as well as Jesse Quick, who is a Flash from another universe, and um, on, so on and so on and so on. It just keeps going and going and going. Right. You know, the concept of time and trying to explain to people who don't have any base knowledge of this is it, you might as well be talking Greek because when you're, when you're trying to layer all of this, it, it, it's just crazy. And then what's also crazy is trying to look at the, the different storylines in the same universe and how they relate to each other from galaxies away. And, you know, it, it's a very, I mean, just such a, a rich, rich thing. So with that, we're going to wrap this up. So I'm looking forward to seeing your, your comic book. That's just in emojis, you know, no <laughs> written words, just emojis. I'm looking forward to that. I mean, they did it. They, they translated the Bible. So I'm sure John, you can do that. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> see, see, and I would, I would say that's that, that borders on not actually being a comic book, but again, that's, that's the a science thing. And, and real quick, I'm just going to throw this out here. This is a book, uh, Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud. If you guys okay. are interested in it, um, this is a book about comic books written as a comic book. Um, that is cool. Fascinating. It, and it is. It's like Scott McCloud, very cool guy, very accomplished comic book, um, comic bookman. He was approached and he said, I want to I help educate people. Um, about this thing that I make a living doing. And so he sat down and he wrote a comic book about, about comic books. And that's just really cool to begin with. So, okay. sorry, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I got a business <laughs> thought. Go, 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 go. <laughs> so please, if you're, if you're interested in those things that I was talking about, about understanding the hard science behind how our brain interprets comic books, um, understanding comics, and then the companion novel to that is making comics. And the companion novel to that is he broke it down and focused solely on web comics. So um, it's check out Scott McCloud. That's that's my biggest piece of advice for people who want to understand comic books is start with Scott McCloud. Okay, so business question for you, and then we'll finish this discussion offline. Is okay. um, you have read all these books, you understand these books these resources and whatnot. Do you have an affiliate program with two points or with John Logan so that you can start pushing these things out so you can start making money 
to produce and further your comic book career? I don't, I don't under like here's me being bad at business. I don't understand what you mean by affiliate program. <laughs> done. Conversation <laughs> done, done, and done. I am completely fulfilled. I'm good with this. Everyone else, thank you so much for hanging out with us. This has been a, a, a kick-ass kickassery. We've let John just go go ape shit on on comic books. And there's, and, so, and uh, there's so much there's more. So much more. So much more. So basically, guys, uh, I'm looking for help. I am looking for 200 likes on our kickassery page. So here's my hook if you're a Gary V fan at all. So I'm asking. I, I need some more push out. I need some more likes. We're at 180-ish, 170-something. I'd love 200. And, um, John, I threw this out there, and, I, and I'm going to brag about this just a touch. When I did my analytics on Friday, and I'm sure you saw my post, I did my I did. analytics on Friday. As of Friday, dude, we've only been doing this since November 27th. There have been over 140 hours, hours of watch time on our videos so far. Very cool. And, dude. yeah, anything anything we can do to get – to get that bigger and better, uh, please support Dale. That's this is me, you know, throwing in behind Dale. Um, I've loved this series. I think it's a really worthwhile um, thing to be involved in. That's why I keep saying yes. That's why I'm, you know, hey Dale, what, when am I up again? And what can we talk about? Um, so yeah, get behind Dale. Get behind Kickassery. Um, Get there, like the pages, and sh and share the pages. Get the exposure up there for this guy. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. That that's my shameless uh, hook right there. That. <laughs> All right, brother. You have an amazing day. Make sure you put your your info down below, so then that way we know how to get a, get in contact with you, guys. Make sure you jump over on Two Points as well. He's got some really cool stuff over there, and we need to get behind him and push him out as well, <laughs> guys. Have an amazing day. Keep smiling because guess what? Somebody needs to see it. We'll talk to you guys soon.